Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts. BC, we didn't get a chance to catch up with you after the game on Saturday. You were over in Iowa. Oh, well, it was a Friday. That always throws me off. The one time a year that they don't play on a Saturday, and I, I get it wrong every time. We didn't get a chance to catch up with you on Friday or Saturday after the game. Uh, Brunts and I talked about it. Friday night, and it felt like another situation in which Nebraska, you know, seemingly gave themselves a chance to win, but more, you know, more likely gave themselves a loss with their own sort of undoing and, and poor play at times. What what did you see on the field on, on Friday and kind of what have been your takeaways uh, from that Black Friday matchup? Yeah, I was riding in a McDonald's parking lot because um, I, I wanted to get out of the press box, but McDonald's won't let you in there for understandable reasons. So uh, I used their wireless from an Iowa City McDonald's parking lot. Did you at least lot. get a McFlurry? I, I went through the drive-thru and got some nuggets after, uh, after using their wireless. Uh, I felt like that was uh, in order and the right thing to do. Post-game um, nuggets better than post-game valves? They were poor nuggets. Uh, they were really poor nuggets, so it was a poor effort. And uh, I have to say, um, I'm not the biggest Vals guy in the world. I'm not knocking anybody who is. But uh, Vals for the post-game pizza uh, usually brings it pretty good. I like their, the post-game pizza they bring at Memorial Stadium back in the good old days. But anyway, um, yeah, field position was the thing that was – it felt like it in the first quarter – uh, where I thought, man, Nebraska's defense isn't playing that bad. They're playing well against the run. Uh, it's a 10 nothing hole. And um, Nebraska was starting drives deep in its own end. Iowa's making a play or two here on a third down and some things that were a little too easy in the first quarter. Uh, but that played into the whole game, that field position um, narrative i mean nebraska's average starting spot was its 26 iowa was its 37 and i look at special teams i mean i felt like special teams if you want to say one thing really lost the game um you know they nebraska gives up a 31 yard punt return where they don't kick the ball far enough to the sideline and then um i like what connor culp is doing i don't have anything against what he's doing he's using his skills to the best of his abilities making kicks he's pooching them where he's supposed to but at some point, Nebraska is going to have to get a leg that puts it out of the end zone. Iowa had five touchbacks. Nebraska had zero. Nebraska on every kick return would start inside its own 25. Iowa, after every kick return, was on about its own 35. You lose a six-point game, uh, throw in a Cam Taylor-Britt fumble, there you go. I mean, that, that in a large part was, uh, was a difference, I thought. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely uh, just kind of what Brunson and I saw as well, and I imagine what a lot of people saw in a, a game that it's always kind of interesting. It, it a little bit like the Penn State one, where the the conversation leading up to the game is Nebraska's going to lose, and then certainly with Iowa, it was Nebraska's going to get blown out. They can't stop this team. They can't stop the run. They can't do anything, uh, especially on defense. And so then. For them to, to be in that game and then to lose close, it's just doubly frustrating as a Nebraska fan because you prepared for them to lose. They get you and your hopes up. They look better in some respects. They look absolutely the same or worse in other respects, and the result is the same. And so it has me wondering, guys, if you think that we've kind of reached this point with the Nebraska program where you kind of get both sides of it. You, you can see why the coaches feel like they're close because Nebraska has a lot of close games and, and close losses. And you can feel why, and, and you can see why, 
the fan base feels like this isn't going to turn around or this, this is going to take a lot longer time because they make the same mistakes and, and they do a lot of the same dumb things week in and week out. Do you, do you guys kind of see that as well, Brunts? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's, uh, it's almost kind of formulaic a little bit at this point, right? Like, you know, I, I think I, BC hit on it again too. I mean, I, I think, uh, special teams has to get ironed out. I mean, they, they've been better on the field goal kicking, but I, I don't know that they particularly improved elsewhere in that area. I mean, it, you kind of dive into the stats and, you know, Nebraska's only given up 15 yards of kick return, but when it's getting caught at the 25 or the, the or the 20, I mean, it, it's not really uh, doing much for you right there. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's uh, it, it feels like this, this season's kind of going along with, with everything else where, you know, Nebraska's close. They, they're playing these one-score games and just not not making the plays and, and not doing the the things that you have to do to win those games. I mean, it's – I was texting back and forth with somebody the other day, and it's almost, you know, a flip from – if you think back to the Bo Pelini era where they won so many games where you just kind of, like, shook your head a little bit that they had that kind of luck to now where it's like, you know, you, you almost kind of expect that, that other shoe to drop. It, it's uh, That's a hard way to live. What do you think? Well, honestly, as I think about the five games, four of them have gone about what I would have – if you had said before the season about what this team would look like, I don't know. It's, it's pretty close as far as the games that are be, being played and the scores and, you know, a couple of the games that were close and the Ohio State one was a blowout. The one that uh, is mysterious and it's in a shortened season where there's a small sample size, it just – it is really – killed uh the idea of progress was the illinois game it really was i mean if they had played fine football against illinois and won that game and all the other results were exactly as they were and they played exactly as they did i think people would be like okay it's uh it's not great but uh it's sort of going toward what you thought it would be that illinois game threw everybody for a loop and it's it's got everybody jumpy wondering like why does a team that's only won you know, 10 games the last two and a half years, why are they not fired up to play every weekend to prove that they are a, a different outfit, you know, than people think they are. And so uh, I know over in North Stadium now, the Illinois game has become the warning sign, at the, like the flashing sign of like, do not enter this ever again. Do not prepare like you did for Illinois again. Uh, but I, it's just frustrating the fans that that had to happen. On the good side, um, after the Illinois game, I didn't know what we were going to see in Iowa City. And Nebraska did come to fight. I will say that. Uh, I mean, they, they, have, they have issues still at spots, and that's obvious. But they, they came to have a four-quarter fight in that game. And uh, I at least like that part of it. I think in some ways uh, that was encouraging. And in other ways, it made people wonder, like, what the heck, heck happened the week before that you couldn't have been this kind of team against Illinois and, and got a win that week? Yeah, it's a uh, that that's really frustrating, and you hit on it. It's a shortened season. It feels like everything is heightened. Um, Nebraska is certainly a team that that you know wanted to to play this season, and so you didn't really think that they would have a performance like Illinois. And and I think you're right. I mean, a lot of these games have kind of played out as I expected, which is to say they played out a lot, as Brunt kind of pointed out, whether it was this podcast or the last one that Nebraska plays in in these really close games all the time, and I expect that again when they take on Purdue this weekend, they're just, they're not quite good enough that they're going to pull away from anybody, but they, they generally play well 
um, in, in some facets that allows them to stay in the game and they make enough plays. And so they did that on, on Friday as well. And I thought the defensive front looked pretty good. I thought, and I'm curious if, if you guys think the same way, especially if you got to rewatch it or if you combed over the box score more, I thought that that was the best we've seen from Damian Daniels. Like I, yep. I really, he played really well. Casey Rogers, I think, gives them, uh, you know, Casey Rogers, Ben Stilley, and, and Damian Daniels playing at a pretty high level uh, for a group that, you know, I kind of expected was going to rotate a little bit more, maybe be a little bit deeper. You have Ty Robinson, who, who's, you know, kind of a fourth member of that. DeAndre Thomas falling off a little bit. We haven't really seen Jakeem Green uh, or Jordan Riley as much as I might have anticipated. But those, those four have played pretty well. And then I thought played really well against Iowa. And, and you knew what Iowa was going to do. Eric Jackson basically joked that Iowa was going to run on Nebraska. And Nebraska was ready for it. And I think if they, if they have that attitude and they play that way most of the time, they're going to give themselves a chance defensively. That, that's how I felt earlier this year. And it's still how I feel now coming out of that, that game. Yeah. I mean, Damian played really well. He had five tackles, one for a loss. Um, I think you're right. It was his best game. And if they can get that Damian Daniels every week, uh, that, that ups things a lot for Nebraska going into next year. Um, Reimer continues to be fun. He'll make mistakes because he's young, but um, he's just so uh, he's just got so much energy and is such a ball hawk that um, he is going to be a really good player. I think, especially by next fall and Will Honus, you got to give Will Honus credit. I think he was a guy I wondered if he, we were ever going to see his full potential in Lincoln, and I think he's starting to tap into it here in this season. And uh, he came to play, and he made some nice plays in pass coverage too. He, um, I, he probably wishes he were a little more – the whole defense, I thought, gave up a little too much ground on the fourth and two conversion where they fit it in but in front of Honus. Uh, but he made some other nice plays in pass coverage as well, so – you know, yeah, there was good stuff on defense. They held Iowa to 2.9 yards per rush. That's a pretty good day on that side of it. Where where are we at? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you mentioned Honus. Um, it's an interesting discussion because, it, I mean, the, the guys that you mentioned along the front are younger guys. Um, everybody, you know, would, you would presume is going to be back next year. Um, you know, depending on what decisions guys make, and, you know, I, I'm expecting that a lot of seniors are probably going to try to, you know, take their, their shot at the next level. But depending on what happens in that back seven, that, the defense, I think, could be kind of an intriguing group next year because you have – I mean, there, there's certainly spots where you're going to need help right away if everybody leaves. But if you get a few guys that stick around um, – you know, thinking, you know, a Honus or, you know, one of the safeties, which I think is probably unlikely, but, you know, that defense with the way the young guys are playing, the fact that you do have some older guys that are starting to play pretty well, I think Honus finally looks like the guy that Nebraska thought they were getting when they beat out Wisconsin and other teams for him. Um, that, that group has potential. Am I wrong? No. Um, and it's going to be a very interesting conversation in about a month's time with those seniors, because I think you're right. If I feel like a few, if you could sprinkle in a few select guys that stuck around with some of the young guys coming up, I like that uh, formula. Um, now that's going to take some interesting conversations and some very candid talks 
And also it's going to take a player. This is not easy for players to do. You guys know this is we cover pro day and I don't blame guys for this. They're competitors, but a lot of guys sometimes dream and think like I can do this. I can get to this next level. And some of the guys just don't have quite what it takes to get to the next level. So it's going to take like almost a humbling, um, some humbling thoughts from a few guys who are in that category where they could be very good college players for one more year, but they realize that the NFL is sort of a, a long dream for them. And that, that is going to be really something to watch play out who decides that they fit in that category. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's going to be really sort of interesting to watch is which guys return, uh, which guys go on. I, you know, you, you have players, I think of a Ben Stilley, and it's kind of – he's a local guy. It obviously means a lot to him. You think about his career started in 2017. He's never played in a bowl game. 2020 is his senior year, and it's cut down to this reduced uh, cancellation fest. And they, they still haven't been very good. I, I could see a guy like that for what Nebraska means to him wanting to stick around, even if there's a chance that he could make, you know, a, a camp roster or something in the NFL. I don't know if I see him as a guy who's making anything more than the practice squad unless he really blows up. But um, I, I wonder about somebody like that if, if he were to come back. And, and Brunt's mentioned the safeties. You know, Markel Dismuke, uh, he's someone that, that intrigues me as well, but he, he's been here for – this will be his fifth season. Like, it's, it's tough to imagine these guys wanting to stick around for year number six, especially when they haven't had the level of success. It's different when you're talking, oh, we might have a Big Ten championship caliber team or division-winning team. In Nebraska right now, it's, well, we might be the group that gets Scott Frost to a bowl game or over a winning season. And so it's uh, – it's an interesting conversation at the the very least for, for what's going to happen with some of those guys. There's been plenty of interesting conversations at Nebraska as of late involving players and moving and coming and going and all of that. We want to dive into uh, Nebraska's latest foray uh, into, uh, you know, players entering the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, I mean, you had – uh, Delancey did it Friday, right? I mean, right as the game was ending, basically, he appeared in the portal. Um, and then Marcus Fleming, obviously, on Monday, Scott Frost kind of broke the news, and then it popped up in the portal that he was in there. Um, you're talking about <clears throat> a couple more Florida guys, and that's quite a hole uh, from the class. I mean, the 2020 class now has lost five guys, all from Florida. Um, and uh, it's a bottom line business. I, I think COVID has played a part in this. I'm not going to dismiss that idea at all because it is, let's be honest. I mean, if you, if you're in your home, like I I've always grew up in Nebraska and I'm here and this has been a really tough time. This year has been really tough. So imagine that. And then you're 18 years old and you move all the way across the country to this completely different place and you can't really go out. Um, there's nobody really out. There's no life in the town, just like it is most places. Um, that's, that's a tough deal. And so I, I don't dismiss that that was a factor in some of these cases, but the, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a, it's a major slice of your class. that's already gone. Yeah, it's, well, and you look at where the, the losses are coming from and, you know, it's defensive back, uh, it's wide receiver, um, those are positions where you, you don't have a ton of proven depth. And, and going back to that last discussion about guys that stick around and guys that don't, 
when you look in the in the secondary right now with you know what's gone um you know henry gray left uh delancey now gone um jane francois also gone i mean you know the, the dad joseph they added in the summer which helps you there but um you know that that's that those are the guys that you were kind of hoping to turn the roster over to whenever, uh, you know, Boodle and, and Cam Taylor Britt and uh, Dismuke and, and Williams and those guys move on. So, you know, now you have to scramble a little bit. I think you have to get creative and, and really develop, uh, the, you know, the, the Noah Pola Gates and, and have, you know, Miles Farmer ready to go. Um, I, I think, you know, they're on that track, but uh, a lot more falls on those guys now that, you know, you, you have kind of that gap. And we've seen, you know, the wide receiver spot, it's been pretty well documented the fact that Nebraska's had difficulty, uh, you know, keeping guys on campus or getting guys to campus. And, you know, you, you need to start getting those guys to, to Lincoln and keeping them there and being able to bring them along. And, and, and that's – that makes it tough to take that next step as a program when you're constantly having to reset the deck uh, with new guys. So uh, – not the best news. I, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have to really work to, to kind of fill out your depth chart, whether that's, you know, you, you get guys late, you go get JUCOs in the spring, you dip into the transfer portal, whatever. Um, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's going to be an interesting looking group next fall and who they have in there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to be curious a little bit where these guys end up. I, I So, Here's how I sort of feel about this decision. If unless this was like they were told you got to go, which I I kind of doubt, the, the timing of this makes it really hard for especially Ronald Delancey to to find the next location that you're going to play at because all of the schools that you had interest in after you committed and signed with Nebraska have all gone out and got other Ronald Delancey's in the 2021 class. So you're about 15 days away from 75% of the 2021 class. And, and I would guess 80% of your position group signing and taking away spots from you there. You had a year in which you didn't get on the field, or if you did, it was in special teams and you don't have enough film to show uh, what, what you've done or that you've gotten better. Unless you go the junior college route. Like I just, I sometimes think when these guys leave, there's not enough thought about the timing of it. I think they would have been better off, you know, especially Delancey, you go through the spring, you at least see how things shake out that way. And again, I don't have the full inside of what was happening. And certainly there was those tweaks and, and everything else, but it's the, the timing of this just makes me feel like it's bad advice and it's going to mm-hmm. result in the kid ending up likely at a program that isn't, you know, say what you will for Nebraska, there's a big difference between playing at Nebraska and playing somewhere else, but you got to go where you're happy. You got to go where you're wanted. And I understand all of that. Uh, I'm just kind of baffled a little bit by the timing of this, because yeah. if you want to go make a decision, you want to go play in the spring next year. Like you kind of have to know where you're going to go or, or you kind of have to have it all figured out at this point. Here's why uh, they're also peculiar departures right now. Um, Marcus Fleming, we can get into the whole thing of, you know, should the young guys have got even more reps so far? That's fine. People can have that debate. But the bottom line is, 
Marcus Fleming was playing a lot more as a true freshman than so many guys that we've covered in this program. You know what I mean? We've covered a lot of guys who have had to wait three or four years before they got on the field or to at least a second or third year. And he, I think, started a game or two. He had the five catches in the Northwestern, and then they couldn't find him, and he kind of disappeared from the offense. But still, I mean, I've, I've covered guys like Quincy and Noon and Niles Paul, who had one catch each their first season. And, uh, you know, so it's not like Marcus Fleming wasn't a part of the plans. And honestly, it wasn't like Ronald Delancey wasn't a part of the plans. He was a guy that they were saying encouraging things about that was popping up on special teams that made travel rosters early on. So both these guys were doing more as younger players than a lot of younger players have gotten the opportunity to do. And I think it's a valid discussion you can have about has Nebraska used some freshmen as much as they could. That's fair, but they are playing them um, in some roles more than they ever have. And if you look at the travel roster Friday, there were 74 guys on it and 24 of those guys were freshmen. So they, this is they were they brought a very young team to Iowa City, even without uh, two guys in Delancey and Fleming, who normally would have been on that travel roster if they had stuck around. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really fair point. And I, I just also want to add, like, I, I, I get the idea that this is a season in which why don't you play the young guys, figure out what you have. I also think there you've got to be real careful about putting people in spots in which they're set up to fail. And I think Nebraska and Scott Frost in particular is pretty sensitive to that. So I, yeah. I don't think you're going to see Logan Smothers just because Nebraska's <laughs> one and four right now. And you guys know that when Nebraska tees it up, it all sounds good to, oh, just play the young guy here or there. When, once that game starts and the scoreboard is on, people care a whole lot what that scoreboard looks like. And you can't really afford <clears throat> a bad series or a guy growing on the job um, in some of these spots. So – um, that that's one of those conversations that always sounds really good in the summer and it's never as easy as, as it sounds once you get to actual games. Well, and it's, it would be one thing if you were playing games, you know, every game looked like the Illinois game where you had guys that were really struggling, you were losing by double digits and, and that kind of thing. And I, I mean, in that situation, I think you definitely go to, um, you know, more of the, the youth movement and, and, and building for the future. But, you know, you, you're losing one score games. I mean, you, you were, you know, going toe to toe with Iowa and, and, you know, right there in other games. So, you know, it, it's, it's not like you're getting blown out where, you know, it would make sense to just kind of throw those guys in there. And Schaefer's right. I mean, if, if you just, you know, throw a guy in there against Iowa um, and you're not putting him in a good position, that's that's sometimes counterproductive too to what you want to get done yeah that's why baseball baseball doesn't bring up their superstars for a couple years sometimes it's the same sort of thinking yeah you want those guys to have confidence you want that confidence built through strong practice reps you want to trust the people that you put in there and I think that's that's all part of the conversation and so I just uh, I kind of wanted to touch on that all right let's let's take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to move into the more positive Nebraska sport right now. Is that, is that a fair way to put it, Bruns? I think so. And I've got a good – I think I've got an interesting question for you guys on the, uh, the other side of this break as well, So, and as it relates to hoops. All right, excellent. Well, stick around because Bruns has an interesting question. We're going to talk some Nebraska basketball. More Husker 24-7 podcast after this. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. All right, let's uh, let's dive into a little Nebraska basketball. They play on Tuesday evening. If you're listening to this, they play against South Dakota this evening. Is that right, Brunts? They play the Yotes. Yeah. So that'll be their fourth game. They're two and one. We've seen a little bit of everything so far, but I think for the most part, Nebraska fans and even the Nebraska media have to be fairly uh, impressed by just the, the stark difference in this team versus what Nebraska had last year under Fred Hoiberg's first year. I'm actually going to start with Brian Christofferson. I don't know how much you've been able to watch because you were all over covering football for us, but you know, you, you go to these games, you cover this team. What did you see when you've seen Nebraska play so far this year? Um, I like, actually, I like the length and what, how it uh, translates to defense or could when they get to the big 10, at least I feel like they make it harder on teams shooting from beyond the arc. And so that, that, part is there obviously it's just a more fluid athletic just put together team of talent than a year ago you can tell that right off the jump um it feels like they've got basically eight guys they really trust and um none more than Delano Banton who feels like he never leaves the floor to me I guess he's averaging 30 minutes a game but if you had told me he's averaging 38 minutes a game I would have probably believed it yeah, he's played. He's played really well. All right, Brun. So you've you've covered this team. You've watched a lot of bad Nebraska basketball in the past. What do you think of this group so far through three games? You can see where this this team is is going to beat some teams that it probably shouldn't in the Big Ten, or at least be a lot more competitive than than what was there last year. Um, that that's not earth shattering by any means. I mean, you look at. The length that they added, they're one of the taller teams in the Big Ten, especially on the perimeter after being, um, you know, one of the shorter teams last year and then seemingly having every shot at the rim rejected uh, by their guards. So, you know, I, I like what they have in Banton uh, on the perimeter. That's that's pretty obvious. I, I, I think Trey McGowan's bounced back really nicely uh, after going scoreless in game two. Um, you know, he, he's he kind of sets the tone defensively for them. I think with, um, you know, not only his energy, I think he's pretty physical on defense too. And actually that's something that you know he needs to be careful of because he got into foul trouble a couple times uh, this week. And, you know, the, the, the guy that, you know, I, I think I was eager to see, Lat Mayen, um, you know, make shots from the outside. He does little things that, that you probably wouldn't notice unless you're really watching him and, and what he does. 
And I think, you know, they're going to need a lot from a lot more from him as they go forward. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, obviously the Nevada loss hurts because Nebraska had open shots, lots of open shots, and they miss a lot of open shots. And just that, that was the first game where you kind of saw, they looked like a team that was playing together, um, you know, fairly recently. So they bounced back well against North Dakota State. Um, South Dakota's coming in tonight. We'll see if they can kind of keep things rolling. But, you know, I, I think the chemistry in this team has significantly improved over last year. I think they've got more talent. Um, if the shots are able to start falling too, I, th- I think this team is going to be even more fun to watch because it, it's when the offense is moving, when guys are in rhythm, I, I think this is a group that, uh, you know, can, can really put it in the hoop. So we'll see if they can get that done tonight. Yeah, it, uh, it it's been kind of just fun to, to watch. And, and I think the thing that stands out to me and, and you guys have mentioned the defense and, and, yeah, athleticism. Some of it is just a depth. Like they have just more guys than I'm accustomed, you know. And Nebraska went to the NCAA tournament with David Rivers being one of their starting five. Like that's that kind of just to me shows you that like when they've had the teams, it's largely just been on the back of having one or two guys that really have to carry everything. This feels like a really cohesive group that could have a different leading scorer almost every night out. And so I, I, I really like that. I think that they've got, you know, seven deep in terms of guys I feel good about on the court. The, the big thing to, to kind of figure out is how you can work in uh, Ivan to, to get the rebounds, to give you a little rim protection if he can do that, uh, to, to help out a little bit without it stunning your offense. It's still a little awkward every time he's on the, uh, on the floor for him. A little. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny, though. I mean, you, you talk to, to Hoiberg and the players, and they say that, that Ivan does finish fairly well in, in practices. It's just not translating to the floor. Right well, now. It's, it's very much not translating. I mean, there, there's no denying that. But, I mean, I, I think with Ivan, it needs to be – I've been surprised, I guess – at times when they try to run the offense through him, I think you have to give him some touches, but you know, it just, uh, he, he needs to get better passing out of the post, I think, because there just seems like a lot of opportunities where he just lowers his head and tries to go to the hoop. And that's not a good, that's not a good recipe for him. So uh, I think, I think he's what three for 12 this season and all three of those have been dunks. So that's kind of where things are at. It, it's, you know, the, I don't know that you were just mentioning, Mike, that, you know, this team has a lot more depth than they do. I mean, I think, you know, you've got enough guys where probably six of the guys can carry you scoring wise on, on any given night, but I, maybe I'm wrong, but I have a few concerns about their depth over the course of a big 10 season. Cause you, you're going to need Ed, Eduardo Andre back. You're not getting Derek Walker back until mid-January at the earliest if they're able to, to win an appeal. But if, if, you know, as it stands now, would be uh, the, the third week of January or fourth week of January that he'd be able to return. Are there concerns about depth? Because they're essentially only running an eight-man rotation right now. Uh, well, I guess it's, it's hard because they, what they face versus what they're going to face in the Big Ten is two different things. And, and it's, it's hard to know at the Big Ten too, right? Like we've seen – shorthanded Nebraska teams play well at spurts, 
but over the long haul, it, it wears you out and you break down by the end of the year. And so um, <clears throat> if they're able to manage those minutes and, and manage those rotations, the, the difficulty, of course, is that this isn't like a slow it down, grind it out offense. Like they want to run. And so you're going to be exerting a ton of energy when you are on the floor. And then, of course, you're going to be asked to going against bigger physical players. So, yeah, that's a that's really a fair question. We'll see what Eduardo Andre gives them when he returns. Uh, hopefully he returns here um, at, at some point when his time is up. And, and uh, you know, Walker, that's just an unfortunate situation that I, I can't imagine anybody around the, the Nebraska basketball program is too thrilled how that went down. They seem like from a distance, Bronze, you could speak better to it maybe, and maybe we need more data. But I, it seems like a group early on that I, like enjoys playing with each other. And I know it's only three games in, but last year you could tell it wasn't the most cohesive bunch. You know, like you could see that off the bat, and they would have spurts where they looked okay playing with each other. But it never felt like great chemistry. And I, I at least see the beginnings of that possibly forming here. Um, and I think this is, in a weird way, because this, this year is so strange and we don't know exactly what's going to happen with this basketball season, I think it sets up sort of as a good trial run for this group to sort of figure out what works, what doesn't work. And maybe this isn't their breakthrough year all the way. But by the end of it, you have a good feeling of that they could do it the next season. And I, I, so I, I think in some ways um, they have the perfect sort of team for this weird COVID situation to kind of grind through it and just enjoy figuring each other out and what, what works and, 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 and build off that. Well, I think that's kind of where this – a good lens, I think, to kind of view this season through. Like – Nebraska is expecting that they're going to take a step forward this season from last year. That that's not a, you know, a, a big thing to do. I mean, it, yeah. you know, they, they were bad last year. They were really bad last year at times and they've got more guys in place. They're going to have a lot more guys coming back next year. You're going to add probably the best junior college three point shooter in the country, a five-star guard, and a, a stretch four that fits your offense to a T. So I, I think they're viewing this season as like laying the framework for what's ahead. I think they're going to win some games this year, like I said, that they're going to punch above their weight, especially when they're making shots. And I, I think that you're going to see a more cohesive group. I, 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 I kind of wondered, you know, when we were here in preseason about, you know, how the chemistry was improved. Fred talked about how much he loved coaching this team. And I think – I rolled my eyes a little bit, but I think you're right, Brian. You can see it on the floor that these guys are really rooting for each other when they're on the bench, they're having fun. And, you know, that that's half the battle, and especially in a year where I think I think college basketball is going to be almost worse than the football season was yeah. for a couple months here with cancellations, you know, teams being shut down, that kind of thing. So I, I think that's uh, just – I think if you kind of view this season through – what are you building right now that you can carry forward into next year and the year after that? I, th I think that's an important thing to keep in mind with this, this team. You know how PJ Fleck, you, uh, when he first got to Minnesota, would call it uh, year zero for his first year there? And I kind of scoffed at it when he did it. But in a way, 
that sort of fits with what happened with Hoiberg at Nebraska. I felt like last year, it's like, we got to put a team on the floor. Here you go. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of a scramble. Like they're going to make us play these games. So we got to find 12 dudes who can wear the uniform and let's go. And this, I, I, it, that sounds really demeaning to last year's team, but it was a bad team. And this feels like year one in a, in a lot of ways um, to the Hoiberg era. I would say this and I, I honestly have never felt more confident in a Nebraska hire that he was going to turn something around and and break through than I do with Hoiberg. I've, I, I really believe that. And I don't even hesitate to say it actually. All right, Brunch, you teased us. What, uh, what is this question that you're, you're sitting on here? Yeah. So yesterday something rolled across my Twitter feed that kind of took me aback. We've all had a rough year. Um, with, with COVID, some, some more than others. Um, it's been interesting with, with haircuts in particular, how this year's gone. It's been, a, it's been a tough year for haircuts. And I was taken aback by a photo of Shaka Smart with hair um, that, that rolled across my Twitter feed. Somebody then responded with a picture of Frank Martin at South Carolina, who's apparently like bald, um, you know, like shiny bald head. So here's a question to end on who, what sports figure and, and go coach on this, but which coach would shock you the most if they all of a sudden had a bunch of hair or were just completely bald? <clears throat> so I, I guess I'm thinking of it in the context of basketball at this point. You can go football too. It doesn't matter. It's got to be someone that, you know, is sort of almost known for their hair in some regard. Would, would, would like, bald John Calipari, would, would that shock you? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it would, it would be, it'd be interesting. Wouldn't bald Roy Williams be more of a stunner because he just always has had that kind of, like, white-styled hair? Have you seen Roy Williams recently? No. I don't look up college basketball coaches' haircuts in my spare time. He's getting a little, a little balder. I got one. I got one. What do you got? Jay Wright. Jay Wright either going bald or just, like, growing out like a mullet and suddenly deciding, you know what, I'm done with this, uh, this sort of look of the three-piece suit look where it looks like I'm going to go out to a really nice Italian restaurant after and – like you can smell my cologne off the screen. Like when you see Jay Wright, can't you almost like you can like you like catch a whiff? You're like, I think I smell that guy's cologne. Um, that's that's Jay Wright. But I'd like to see him sort of uh, bring it down a notch, bring it to our level. Maybe start coaching uh, in just a collared shirt and uh, let that hair grow out like a little bit of a mullet. That's what I'd like. If you want to go somebody who's no longer with us, a famous basketball coach, it would have been Jerry Tarkanian at UNLV with a, like a whole thing of hair. <laughs> Just chewing on that towel with like a glorious yeah. bit of hair. Yeah, like chew, he has hair so long that he actually chews on a strand of his own hair instead of the towel. Now that would be a, that would have been a shock back in the day. Uh, here's a, another older coach for you, like a bald Bobby Knight. That would be. Yeah, he still has a full head of hair as of uh, early 2020. Um, that one would stand out to me a little bit. I'm trying to think of football coaches. 
if there's anybody that, you know, like what if Bill Belichick just had long hair? Like long stringy hair. It would fit right in with that cutoff sweatshirt. <laughs> what about bald Brad Stevens? Ooh, yeah. That could I could see that. Bruns is going crazy during this quarantine stuff. Yeah. Coming up with these questions. Shaka Smart was was stunning. <laughs> he he like doesn't even look like the same guy. No, he really doesn't. He really doesn't. All right. So yeah, tweet at us if you could think of somebody that would be better than what we put forth. And I'm sure you probably can come up with something better. All right. Let's uh uh, we got anything else we want to add here? We'll be back with another podcast Thursday and then the, uh, the hype cast on Friday. We are going to have another special guest. Um, we don't know who yet, so we'll work on that. But uh, we'll be back with a couple more podcasts. Uh, any, any closing thoughts here? Shaka Smart's hair was my closing thought, my closing argument. The defense rests. All right. That's what uh, Michael Brunts is bringing to the table. Shaka Smart. BC, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I think I, I think I've said my piece today. All right. The gentlemen have nothing more to tell you, so we bid you adieu. We'll catch you on Thursday. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.